0: We are, on our Sunday morning series, currently exploring the lights before Christmas. Uh, It's it's a little easy to overlook the fact that the the Bible is really one long story with threads that, that show up in the beginning and find their fulfillment and their completion in the Gospels and in the New Testament. And so we are discovering some themes of the coming of Christ from the opening pages of the Old Testament, we saw how manna really and in that incident in Exodus 16 uh, foretold of, of the bread of life and the dailyness that we need uh, 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 for sustenance from him last Sunday morning we, we went forward several and we went backwards several hundred years to to a man named Jacob dying uh, on his on, on the bed and he gathers his sons around and he blesses them and the unlikely blessing of the fourth son with the greatest of blessing. And uh, out of him, the son, Judah, would come the heir to the throne of Israel and and the Messiah. And so this morning we're moving forward about 400 or so years after the the deathbed of Jacob and about eh, maybe a hundred years before the the manna incident in Exodus uh, 16. And we're looking at an event that, that really begins that first redemption arc story in the Bible. There are two big redemption stories in the Bible. The first, Moses and his deliverance of the people from, from Egypt. And the second, of course, is the story of Jesus and his redemption from sin that we all enjoy today. And so Christmas is about the birth of Jesus. So what about the birth of that other big leader of redemption, Moses? What can it can, does that birth of Moses teach us anything, do any threads begin there which find their completion in the New Testament? And guess what, they do, there's a shock. The story, that was, okay. (laughs) You're still picturing that explosion in your head, aren't you? (laughs) The story of the birth of Moses is mentioned three times in the scriptures, Exodus chapter two, Acts chapter seven, and Hebrews 11. So we're gonna explore those texts this morning. And so some 400 years before the the birth of Moses in Exodus 2, during the days of Jacob, God's people, they migrate from from Canaan to Egypt. There's a huge famine in the land and they had already kind of pre-sent Joseph down there and Joseph gains favor with Pharaoh and he tells him how he can survive the famine in Egypt and and so he gains this, this favor with Pharaoh. And he is promoted to second-in-command. He's allowed to bring his entire family down to Egypt so they can survive the famine as well. When they go down there, they are about 70 in number. 400 years later, as the book of Exodus opens, there are roughly about 2 million of them. And so it's, it's become not just a family, but it's become a nation, a Jewish people. And the story of Moses' birth in short form goes like this. Because Pharaoh hated them... And he feared the Jews. He said to all the Hebrew midwives, just kill them if they're boys. As they come out, just get rid of them. And if that doesn't all work, then, you know, the boys, the babies, will just throw them in the Nile. He's deranged. And pretty soon after that, a Jewish couple named Amran and Jochebed, they give birth to a baby boy. And for three months, they keep him hidden from everybody. And defying the king's command. You see, they feared God more than they feared Pharaoh. And they knew they couldn't keep this kid hidden forever, so they put him in a basket. And they put him, you know, seal it all up, put him kind of in the bulrushes. You've seen the movie, right? And, and they put him there in this basket floats near the banks of the, of the Nile River. And pretty soon, the the Pharaoh's daughter comes and she sends her servants. They find the basket, know it's a Hebrew baby. And in one of the divine serendipities in the Bible, Moses' sister, Miriam, who's been watching from a distance, volunteers to find, oh, I can find a Hebrew midwife for you. Or not a midwife, uh, whatever you call that. I can find somebody to nurse the baby for you. And that's what happens. And so it turns out that Pharaoh's daughter ends up paying Moses' mother to nurse her own baby. Not a bad deal for Moses' mother. Eventually, though, they've given the baby to the Nile River once. They have to give the baby to Pharaoh to raise. All in preparation for the day when Moses will go before Pharaoh and say, Let my people go. As we look back at the story of the birth of Moses, three elements stand out to me especially as they provide some nuance for the coming of the Redeemer. So Moses, three observations. Number one, Moses was born into a humble home. They're not famous people. They're not rich. Exodus 2, verse 1. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman. Very unremarkable. They all, you know, he's, he's the grandson of, of um, um, Levi, So they're all kind of grandchildren, it's not that, they're not that far from the 12 sons. So he marries a Levite woman, she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. Amran, whose grandfather was Levi, marries Jochebed, not part of the power elite of Egypt and so they have a baby. This whole generation is a grandson of one of the 12 sons and so it's nothing special. Observation number two, Moses was rescued from a tyrant. Pharaoh wanted the baby dead. He wanted all the sons of the Jews dead. Because sons can do what? Sons can form an army. Army can fight. And so if we get rid of the sons, I don't have to watch out for any rebellions. You know, these Jews, they're supposed to be tools in the hands of Pharaoh, not warriors in the hands of God. I like them there. They got no sons to fight, I got control over them. Observation number three, Moses was no ordinary child. Acts seven, verse twenty. At that time Moses was born. At, the t- at that time Moses was born, and he was no ordinary child. For three months he was cared for by his family. When he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up as her own son. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. But the text says he was unique from birth. And when the writer of the Hebrews makes a list of the heroes of the faith, he includes the parents, mom and dad, of Moses. Hebrews eleven twenty three. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born. Because they saw he was no ordinary child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Four things from that Hebrews text. First, they hid Moses in direct disobedience to the order of the king. He said, kill all the male babies. No, we're not going to do that. Second observation, somehow they knew he was no ordinary child. Now, let's be honest. In some sense, all parents feel that way, right? It's natural to believe that your son or your daughter are are, are just different and unique and the best and the brightest, the most beautiful child in the world. And in this case, though, the parents, they sensed, they had to have sensed that God had some particular purpose for their child, but I'm not sure they could have imagined what it was. As far as we know, no angel came and said, uh special kid make sure he's safe but they knew he was a gift from god some kind of a special delivery from his hand and so they risked everything to keep him alive third thing i note in that hebrews text is their faith rose above their fear i'm sure they flinched every time the kid began to cry and he's a normal kid he cried a lot i'm sure they all do at the beginning i mean how do you know your neighbors aren't going to turn you in, you know? Let's, 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 let's keep this hush-hush. Because you don't know who you can trust. Every day, Amram and Jochebed, they risked everything to keep him alive. But they didn't stop. They, their faith kept them going. My fourth observation is that they could not have foreseen the honor that God would place on Moses. They put their child in a basket in the Nile River, in a desperate attempt to save him. They knew they couldn't keep him, so they put him on the river, hoping somebody who loved babies would find him. Now, the word translated basket in Exodus 2-3, it's used only one other time in the whole Old Testament. And it's used to describe the boat that Noah built. It's used of the ark. It's the same word. You see, Moses was safer in that basket than he was at home, as Noah and his family were safe from the ark they were in. But all of this, every part of it, was overseen by God, who attended to raise Moses up to begin this second or the, the first ark of redemption. Now, you all can preach the next part of this sermon, because you know exactly where I'm going. Fill in the blanks ahead of time. Jesus, three observations. Number one, Jesus was born into a humble home. You know this. Teenage mother, probably a teenage father, living up north in a podunk town in Galilee. Nazareth, nothing ever good comes out of Nazareth. And they trapped all south for this census. They don't even have a place to stay. And they're such nobodies that nobody even gives them a place to stay. And when it comes time to give thanks to God for the safe delivery of their child, they can't even afford a lamb. So they give two turtle doves. Humble home. Second, Jesus was rescued from a tyrant. When Herod the king heard about this baby boy, he said this boy then you call him king of the Jews. Well, not on my watch. Matthew 2:16. when Herod realized that he'd been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity just in case, you know, they moved out to the suburbs who were two years old and under in accordance with the time they had he, he had learned from the Magi. So Mary and Joseph. They're going to protect their son. There's no Nile River, so what do they do? They go to Egypt to get out of the jurisdiction of Herod. The first deliverer comes out of Egypt. The second deliverer comes out of Egypt. Observation three, Jesus was no ordinary child. That was no ordinary birth, folks. The whole birth narrative seems to scream, this is not an ordinary baby. There are visions. There are angels coming. There's a star. There's visitors from the east. They bring gold and frankincense and myrrh. And there's this virgin who's pregnant. Really? His coming was unique. He's no ordinary baby. And the birth of Jesus echoes the story of that first Redeemer. But now the redeemer of the world has arrived, not just the redeemer of Israel. Is it just a coincidence that the birth of Jesus and the birth of Moses have these parallels? I don't think so. Out of these parallel themes, I want us to learn three things. You're not gonna learn anything new today But I think there are things that we forget as soon as life gets hard, and as soon as life's a little bit painful. But we need to remember these lessons when we face our tyrants or any sort of suffering. Lesson one, from all of this I learned this, God's on the throne. God is on his throne. God was on his throne when Moses was born, and Israel was enduring very difficult suffering. And God was on his throne when Jesus was born. And Israel, they were under the, the iron dome, under the thumb of Rome. And their religion had gotten wonky. Do you really think God wanted all, the, all this going on in, in Israel? No. And God is on his throne today when right is wrong and wrong is Right. The one who would redeem Israel from slavery in Egypt was a shadow of him who would redeem humanity from our slavery to sin. And Exodus 2 illustrates to us how God moves in history. You see, there is a flow to human events. Nothing ever just happens. Alva J. McLean said, from the fall of a raindrop to the fall of an empire, all is under the providential control of God. That's who we serve. After 400 years of Egypt, the last whole chunk of it, miserable. Then the focus narrows to just one family, a husband and wife and their baby. And after thousands of years of history, the focus in the first century comes down to one family, and they weren't even husband and wife. When Moses arrived, he faced difficulties and obstacles. He was born into an alien race. He was in a foreign land. He was oppressed and enslaved. From a human point of view, Moses entered the world at the worst possible time. But because God wanted to raise up a deliverer, he made sure that Moses was born to believing parents in a culture of idolatry. Think about the what ifs of the story of Moses. What if soldiers had found the baby in the Nile River? Or what if the wrong person came along? What if Pharaoh's daughter came out, you know, a day early or a day late or an hour earlier or an hour late? What if Pharaoh's daughter didn't notice the baby? What if she didn't feel any pity for this child? What if she didn't agree to Miriam's request? What if she, she wanted the baby right then and just took him? There's so many things that could have gone wrong. Right over the story of the birth of Moses, Two words, but God. But God. But was it much different when Jesus was born? Not really. From a human viewpoint, he entered the world at the worst possible time. But God gave him faithful parents to shepherd his life and protect him from a hostile world. There were a lot of what ifs when he was born as well. What if Mary had balked? She didn't cooperate. What if Joseph had walked out on her? What if she'd given birth a couple of nights earlier out in the middle of the Jordan Valley? We'd have to have a valley here, you know? What if the religious leadership had had any kind of interest and actually gotten up and gone with with the Magi to Bethlehem? What if the Magi had gone back home through Jerusalem and let Herod know right where he was? What if they had stayed in Bethlehem too long and lingered there when Herod's minions came to destroy the babies? See, Amran and Jochebed faced danger. Mary and Joseph faced danger. They knew the government wanted to kill their child. They knew their danger, that danger, and they hid their child. Both of them did in defiance to the king. And Hebrews 11, 23 says the actions of the parents of Moses says they were not afraid. They were not afraid of the most powerful man in the world. So they let their child live only to give him up into the Nile River. You see, in the end, we all must do what the parents of Moses did, give up our children. Release them to God because he's on his throne. In most recent days, we've seen how teachers want the legal right to teach moral perversion to children as young as five. And many applaud them for their courage. But the real honor goes to parents who are willing to teach their children the ways of God. And I understand why some people say they don't want to bring children into the world that's the way it is today. 35 years ago, I had the same discussions with my wife. But when has it ever been easy to bring a child into the world? When did we ever live in a golden age for raising Christian children? That age never existed. Every baby, every baby is a vote for the future. It's a way of saying we believe in the promises of God. It can be terrifying to let your children go, but we all have to do it. No one's exempt. And yet, every detail is under the control of God. The king's edict, the baby's beauty, the mother's plan, the placing of the Ark, the baby's cry, the daughter's compassion, the sister's suggestion, the mother's agreement, it's all woven together. Nothing's happening in either story nor in our lives by chance. Moses is born and the story of redemption begins and we see the hand of God moving through circumstances to prepare the way for his birth because he will one day deliver his people. And what are circumstances if they are not the fingerprints of God? God's still on his throne even today. Lesson number two. We still raise children by faith. Moses' mother placed her baby on the waters of the river. Mary and Joseph, they got to run to Egypt to keep their son safe. And us, I mean, we raise our children in a world that denies that God even exists. But the God who cared for Moses and the God who cared for Jesus is the same God that cares for our children as well. How can we dare to bring children in a world like ours the same way the Moses' parents did? By faith. But God, by faith. By faith they came together. By faith she conceived. By faith she hid her her child. By faith they raised him. By faith she gave him back. Don't get depressed. These are wonderful days to raise children for God because the parents knew who God was. Think of what Jacob had experienced. She got Moses from God. She gives him back in this basket. She gets him back again, and she's gotta give him up again, but at least she got paid for it the second time. Everything was against her, but God was for her. Stephen said in Acts seven, Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and actions. It's all grand. But where did Moses learn the truth about God? Because it wasn't in Egypt. He had to have learned that from his parents. And yet he never forgot it. Here's a question I cannot answer there's not enough information in the Bible. But how long did Amran and jo- Jochebed raise Moses before they gave him back to Pharaoh's daughter? How long did he live in their home? There are a lot of answers to that question. Some people say 12 or 13 years. Some say, eh, no, more like three or four years. At least, most likely, until he could walk and talk, until he was completely weaned. And beyond that, it's impossible to say. But however long it was, By the time they gave him back to the household of Pharaoh's daughter, he knew everything he needed to know about the God of Israel. During those years of growing up in the royal court, he never forgot what they had taught him when he was a child. Never underestimate the value of the early years of child education. Anne Ortland wrote a book. She called it Children Are Wet Cement. And they're wet cement that dries pretty quickly. The world understands this better than we do. That's why the state today argues so forcefully in favor of educational control. Because whoever teaches a young child sets their course for life. Nuns have been known to say, give us a child until he's seven. He'll be a Catholic for life. God bless the parents of Moses because they implanted the truth that kept him on his right path when he could have easily forgotten his Jewish identity. And think about this. They didn't have the book of Genesis because Moses wrote the book of Genesis. They didn't have Exodus, they didn't have the Pentateuch, the Torah. They didn't have a tabernacle. That they could use to teach him they didn't have these things but whatever they did have it was enough because moses didn't forget where he came from number three our third lesson great events come from small beginnings as moses grew up in the court of pharaoh he looked like an egyptian but underneath he's jewish to the core So what did he learn in Egypt? Well, we know what what Acts says. He got the best they had to offer. He learned their language, he learned their literature, he learned their history, their writing, their math, their music, their agriculture, their architecture, everything. I mean, he could have become Pharaoh if that was in the plan of God. But when he was confronted with his identity, what did he have to do? He had to make a choice. Great events come from small beginnings. And at some point, however, we all have to make a choice. So choose wisely. But God, I forgot the second one. By faith, what? No, I don't know. Whatever that is, you know it. It's in your notes. Choose wisely. We make our choices and then our choices make us. Bob Dylan put it this way, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. And when Moses grew up, he chose to suffer with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. And what did they say about the Savior? Hebrews 12:2 for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Great, monumental things come from very small beginnings. And it seems impossible that a baby found in the bulrushes would one day save a nation and lead them to the promised land. But that's how each story begins with impossible circumstances. Why? So that we will know very clearly who is the hero of the story. It's really not Moses, It's, it's God. Who's the hero of your story? It's not you, it's God. And God arranges details so at just the right moment the story can change. And when all of this happened at the right moment, Moses would be ready to deliver his people because nothing happens by chance, but Moses still had to make and choose wisely. From small things come huge miracles. You may feel small and insignificant don't be afraid. Don't despair. Don't give up. God knows who you are. He knows where you are. Look at the impact we've had of 12 years of Advent conspiracy. We are, people are drinking the water still today of the wells we built. And who knows what will come from our faithful service to him. Let me ask one more question. Since this is all about children, are children a blessing or a burden? No, the answer is yes. (laughs) An exhausted parent at 3 a.m., come on. (laughs) Ask any parent whose seven year old decides to disobey or ask them again when that child turns 16. But children are always a blessing. They are sometimes a burden and often the burden is heavy but who knows what God will do through our children if we receive them with love and protect them from those who would hurt them and raise them up with the grace and the strength that God provides. If we do that, who knows what God will do with our children? Because nothing's more hopeless than putting your baby out on the Nile River. Nothing seems more hopeless than, than having your baby and putting them in a feeding trough. We glamorize it with a manger. It's, it's where cows our horses eat their dinner and nothing is more hopeless than raising a child when the world is so divided and so after our children but god by faith choose wisely we live in troubled and dangerous times when the world has little use for our faith but don't give up don't despair Be faithful to Jesus. Do what you can with what you have. Raise your family for the glory of God. Pray for your children. Pray for your grandchildren. Pray that you get grandchildren. (laughs) Take what you have. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry. (laughs) Take what you have and use it for God because who knows what God will do with it. And in the meantime, rest in this. God knows what he's doing, and he's doing it. The hope of the world lies in a manger. The hope of the world hangs on a cross. The hope of the world rises again. And so this month, we celebrate that nothing on that night of the birth of Jesus was ordinary. It was a sacred night because God stepped in and he's telling again the sacred arc of the story of redemption. Let's pray. Father, as the world goes crazy, we remember today that on that night, everything changed. And so we can trust you. We can trust that you're in control of our world and that we can raise our children in godliness with a hope in you. Let us do that by faith. because we love you, and we want that hope to be instilled in our children. In Jesus' name, amen.